And Lord, oftentimes when we see the work of your hands, Lord, it's within our own lives. We say, Lord, show me your glory. Well, you want to show us your glory through us, through our circumstance, through our situation, through the things that we deal with that are painful, the things that we deal with that are, that are joyous. You want us to see your glory through all of it. And Lord, I, I thank you for the fact that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in doubt. We don't have to live in fear. But we have to choose joy. We have to choose you. We have to choose your way and not ours. We have to choose your will above all else. Lord, you're very clear that you want us to love you more than anything else. Everything else we should just love less. It doesn't mean we love, we don't love it at all. But Lord, you teach us about what love looks like. Love is not in the shape or form of a heart. It's in the form of a cross. That's what love is. That's the picture of love, that you're willing to die for us no matter what. Lord, thank you for that. It's because of that that we're here this morning. It's because of that that we continue to claim you as our God. So this morning, Lord, we ask for more of you, more of your spirit, more of an understanding of how you work. So that we can work alongside you. You can work through us. So we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Welcome this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I always like to extend a warm hand of fellowship to you. You could be anywhere on a Sunday morning, but you choose to be here with us. And for that, I am thankful. I'm honored. And, and, and thank you for, for being here. But again, welcome. And you don't know you had to kind of trek through the snow to get here. But hey, you're here. Awesome. Um, but as we as we jump in this morning, we know that Eastus is in a place where we're trying to secure a, a place of permanency, a building. We have this land that we're going after. So what that's done is it's caused us to open up the word and, and have a better understanding of what it means to give. We have a building campaign. We're asking you to give. Well. I don't want to ask you to give unless we know what the word says about giving. You guys also know that we're going through the book of Nehemiah. And the amazing part is that they kind of link and coincide. And it's it's good. And the reason for that is because it's all scripture. Uh, scripture doesn't uh, d- defy itself. It all runs together. And so... There's a beautiful connection between 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and Nehemiah as far as building this wall. We understand this man to be one who's commissioned to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem, and that's a tough task. But we're looking at how he did that. The Lord has tasked you guys in this room to do something. Let's just take Eosis out of it. There's something that he's asking you to build a wall in your life. It's not necessarily about the wall as much as it is he's rallying you around that thing to bring something. When they're building this wall, it's for the sake of completion. And that's where we get 
the title of this message. I want you to understand something about this word completion. That when it comes to giving, the Lord is trying to do the same thing. It's for the sake of completion. Now we're going to see what the word says about that this morning. But last week, we looked at giving uh, from Luke six thirty-eight. Given it will be given unto you. We opened up Second Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9, and we understood that giving is a grace issue. Now, what's the definition of grace? It's the ability to do something that you cannot do on your own. You go back to Luke six twenty-seven through 37, and those are the Beatitudes. And in those Beatitudes, you read that, hey, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your left cheek, let them slap that one too. If they steal your coat, be sure to give them your shirt as well. See, that doesn't make sense to me. But what the Lord is saying that is the only way that you aren't, you're able to not retaliate through your flesh is by grace. Therefore, giving is a grace issue. It's also an attitude issue. First, uh, excuse me, Second Corinthians 8 verse 7. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth about the churches in Macedonia and their ability to give in the midst of their deep poverty. And he says something, something to him. He says, be sure that if you abound in faith, you abound in knowledge, you abound in utterances, speech, and you abound in love. Be sure to abound in giving as well and finish this gracious work. So abounding means to have a great amount of. You want a great amount of faith, you want a great amount of love, great amount of knowledge, a great amount of being able to speak eloquently. Why is it that when it comes to this principle, we go the opposite direction? He's saying abound in all of it. Abound in the giving. Awesome. Grace is an is a excuse me, giving is a grace issue. Giving is an attitude issue. And then last week we also looked at the opposition. Sambalot and Tobiah and the boys. Basically, speaking against nehemiah saying hey look what are you doing are you rebelling against the king we saw that in verse 10 and also in verse 19 we'll hit verse 19 again today second corinthians 8 10 through 15 is what we'll look at today and also at the conclusion of this message nehemiah 2 17 through 20 but here here is the the Nehemiah 2, 11 through 16. Here's what I brought last week that I just want to, I want to bring up one more time to bring us to where we're at today. That Nehemiah inspected the wall. He, he finally got to Jerusalem and he went up in the nighttime and just rode up and down these walls and got a good look. There was an inspection that ensued. Okay. Now me, me, upon that inspection, Nehemiah gained the reality of what was needed to be done in order to finish, to complete this work. And what I brought to you guys last week was the difference between knowing, okay, the difference between knowing and not knowing. Knowing gives you an advantage. It really does. Not knowing something kind of puts you at a disadvantage. You're guessing all the time. But we took it one step lower than that, expanded it just a little bit. Choosing to know versus choosing not to know. See, I've heard some people say sometimes it's, ah, you know, I don't really want to read all of the Bible because I'm afraid it's going to say something that I don't like. <laughs> that's choosing not to know, but you know it's in there. But if you choose to know, that's what Nehemiah did. 
he chose to know the reality of all of what it was going to take to build this wall. So if we take that principle and go one deeper with that, if you choose to know as a body of Christ and then don't live in it, that's one thing. That's something that opens up the door for division. Why is that? Because you know exactly what the word says, but you're saying to the Lord, I choose not to take your word for it. Nehemiah didn't have to do this inspection, but he did. And once he got that information, he then had to act on it. See, once we do an inspection of the word and get the information, see, we have to live in it. And so that's what I want to, that's what brings us up to today. That once we know it removes the guesswork. Now, I want to remove more of the guesswork this morning. That giving is something that the Lord set up. But we're so wrapped around the world's economy, we have a skewed view of God's economy. Well, I want to flip that. Let's have a healthy view of God's economy and realize that the world's economy, because it's based solely and completely on the dollar and money, gives us a skewed view of the same principles that God has. You see in the word the perspective that you're supposed to have, and you're supposed to look at it through those lenses. Well, when you look at it through the world's lens, things are dysfunctional. Things are incomplete. So what I, I think I did this at the end, or maybe the first part of this service last week, I showed you guys this this brochure. It might have been at the end. Um, I can't remember which was which, but I'm starting with it today. Now, this is what we're going through. Now, if you don't have this with you, I'm going to ask Brett back there um, just to if you can grab one, because if you can just keep this in your Bible, it's not like you have to reference it every day. This is not the word. OK, but the word is in here. Second Corinthians eight is in here. Second Corinthians nine is in here. The principles. This is just laid out in, um, if I would say, pamphlet form for you. OK, but there's a statement on the top of this, the inside of this. If you don't have one of those, just raise your hand uh, And uh, Brett will get that to you. But there's a statement on the inside of this that's going to drive all of today. And it says the world's economy is based on buying and selling. The world's economy is based on buying and selling. And God's economy is based on giving and receiving. So those are two different views there. We're going to open that up. And it's, it's best explained to open it up and look at it in Scripture uh, rather than my opinion. This is not the gospel according to Alex. This is what the Lord says about this issue. So in order for us to start with God's economy, have a healthy view of that, let's understand where we're at right now when it comes to the world's economy. If you can, really quick, turn over to Ecclesiastes 5.10. And just hang out there for a second. Ecclesiastes 5. Now, the world is motivated by the dollar sign. It's motivated by money. Buying and selling has to do with money. Let's let's get an understanding of that. And what it means is that I'm trying to gain and gain and gain and advance and get more and advance. Well, what's the end result of that? What's the end result of buying and selling? Is there an end result? Ecclesiastes 5.10 shows us the end result of when your motivation, our motivation, is money. And it says this. 
he who loves money will not be satisfied. That's pretty cut and dry. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. It's saying this is pointless. That if you're in pursuit of money, 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 that's a song. I don't, I don't Now, who sings it? OJs. All right. The prophets. I'm just kidding. If you're motivated by money, what this is saying is that the end result, if I ask that question, I got to answer it. The end result is a dead end. The end result is a bottomless pit. So if you're motivated by something that is of this world, there's a dead end to that. There's a bottomless pit at the end of that that thing. When the beginning, yeah, I gave you that statement. So then we'll, we'll jump over to God's economy. Now, the title is for the sake of completion, all right? That word completion is huge because God's economy, I'm going to say this, is based on giving and receiving, but it's motivated by completion. If I ask what's the end result of God's economy, just like I ask what's the end result of the world's economy, the end result of God's economy is completion. Now, that's not a, a term that I'm just pulling out of the air trying to connect this stuff together. Let's talk about God's love. Do you know that God's love is motivated by completion? I think it's Matthew 19.22 when one of the Ten Commandments is being referenced and it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. See, that's a completeness of love that he's asking from us. Give all of it to me. But we hear all the time, God is love, right? The, the famous scripture for that is 1 John 4, 7 through 17. And it says, it begins with saying God is love. But at the end of that passage in verse 17, it says, we are made complete by this love. That it's God's love that completes us. So God's giving isn't only motivated by completion. God's love is motivated by completion to bring you to a complete understanding of love. Let me take you one more. The relationship that you have with Jesus. Just you and him. If he was sitting in this seat or standing on the stage right there, he's burning holes in each one of you guys looking straight at you. He's saying the relationship that I have with you is motivated by you becoming complete. That you may not lack anything. Where do we see that? We see it in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Specifically in verse 13. 11, 12, and 13. He says, I gave the whole five for the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? That's us. For the work of service, for building up the body of Christ. And then he says, till we attain unity in the faith. To the knowledge of God. And here it is. To the measure of of the stature that belongs to the fullness, the fullness of Jesus Christ. So our relationship is based on him trying to complete us. His love is based and motivated on the fact that he's trying to bring that to completion. So why would his giving and his economy be any different? But here's what you got to understand real quick before we uh, read Second Corinthians 8. 10 through 15. 
is that this completeness is not like a puzzle. Because what do I do with a puzzle? I got all these pieces on the table and I put them together and once it's done, it makes this magnificent picture. But then I kind of push that puzzle over to the side and on to the next thing. See, that's not the type of completeness that he's talking about. This completeness has a purpose and it has a functionality. We're going to see what that functionality is in these five verses. He's trying to bring you to a place of completeness so you can function completely through him. Amen? Are you with me? Come on now, church. Somebody got to talk to me today. When the beginning motivation is completeness according to Jesus Christ, the end result is limitless. The bottomless pit gets filled up and then guess what? We operate out of an overflow. We'll talk about that surplus later. But let's read this real quick. 2 Corinthians 8. 10 through 15. Um, It says this, starting off in verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their needs, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Again, God's economy motivated by completion. This completion has a functionality to it. The result of completion is the functioning of three things. I want you to catch these three things. Verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your, here's the first one, advantage. One of those functioning attributes is it gives you an advantage. And then we read in verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. All of a sudden there's a level playing field. And in verse 14. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there might be equality. You know what that is? It's called reciprocity. So the result of of completion is the functioning of three things, functioning in an advantage, knowing that you have an advantage when you step into God's economy. But also that there's equality. And that equality, all of a sudden, there's a level playing field. The man with billions is all of a sudden on the same level as the man who has nothing. See, it's all his anyway. It all belongs to him. That level playing field creates an atmosphere where reciprocity can happen. All right. So we're looking at God's economy. Those are the attributes of God's economy. And the result of the completion that he's trying to get in and through us when it comes to jumping into this 
is all of that. Let's look over at the world's economy, which is motivated by the dollar, motivated by money. What did we read about money in Ecclesiastes 5.10? That it brings us to a place where we'll never be satisfied. The end result, there is none. I got four figures in my bank account. Well, I want five. Well, once I get five, then I kind of want six. Seven's better than six. So I'm going to go to eight. You'll never be satisfied. There's always more. There's always more and more and more. It's a bottomless pit. The result of that is a dysfunction and a misinterpretation and a misrepresentation of having an advantage. It brings a skewed view of equality and throws reciprocity out the window. And therefore, catch this, your self-made success story, you getting to where you got, becomes dogmatic. You know what dogmatic means? It means that something or some principle that you've landed on is incontroversibly true. Meaning that it cannot be contended with. Nobody can tell you any different. Your personal success story, hey, I worked my butt off for all of this stuff. You become dogmatic. No one can tell you any different that, hey, you got all of that because of the Lord, period. You have a skewed view of where it comes from. So here again, in order for me to advance in the world's economy, guess what I have to do? I have to gain, but someone else has to lose. God's economy doesn't say that. God's economy says we all have the advantage, every single one of us. Why? Because we're all equal. But here's what the world's economy does. Uh, again, that narrative comes about. I've worked so hard for what I've got that that may be true. But just because the result of that success is hundreds or maybe thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands, come talk to me if that's that, or millions or billions, that does not somehow make you better than the person sitting next to you regardless of what your bank account looks like regardless of how many cars you have or uh, what your house looks like on the inside or the outside or all of these things that we can um, say that because of this I am successful see all that doesn't mean you're successful one bit what God's economy does is he says it's all mine anyway so now it's a level playing field you know what that does for me when I'm sitting across the table from a man who's got millions of dollars I got an unbelievably amount of confidence because he's got to put his pants on just the way I do in the morning. <laughs> he's got the same amount of stuff in his body that I do. Why? Because the Lord loves him just as much as he loves me. Now, I'm not coming up against anybody who's got lots of money. Don't, don't hear me say that. I'm just saying that when I'm operating in God's economy, it gives me a healthy view of equality. There's no longer this who's better, who's worse. Then reciprocity dies in the world's economy because I become a hoarder of everything I've gained and nobody can tell me different. God's economy does not work that way. It's a level playing field and we know and understand that what we've been given is for our need. Catch me when I say that. It's for our need. But our surplus is for the sake of other believers when they have a deficiency. See, that's where verse 14 comes in, in God's economy. But verse 15 speaks to something that I think, um, I, I don't want to skip over it, but I want to say it with wisdom 
um, in discernment in the sense that here's where I think the rub is for us. You may be getting from me this morning that is pastor saying that what I'm supposed to do is not save any money? That's not what I'm saying at all. There's a story in the word in Exodus 16, which we're going to read from 13 to 21. And it's specific to Moses in the wilderness with people who are gathering up what they need when it comes to this manna, when it comes to this food that the Lord is providing. And Moses tells them something, but they disobey. And here's what here's what happens. Here's what gives us a better understanding of what it means to to manage this surplus and what this surplus means to us. So verse 15 is in conjunction with cross reference for that is Exodus 16 13 through 21. And I'm going to read that. Cuz we want the word to interpret the word this morning. Exodus sixteen thirteen through 21. Here it is. It says, So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. It's what the Lord is saying to these people to do with this. He says, gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so. And some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he said, excuse me, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. See, then Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning. And it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. See, the Lord is not saying do not be a good steward of what you have. Because you know what? Saving is a part of being a good steward of what the Lord has been giving you. But what this story opens up is when we have a surplus, he's saying you have to be willing to give that surplus because I'm the one who gave it to you. All I'm asking you to do is gather according to your need because I'm your provider. What he was trying to get his people to understand is that you don't need to step into this perception of self-preservation. Because what I need you to do is to understand that I'm your provider from the beginning in the middle and at the end of it. If he would have said, gather more, it would have been good. And I believe that God would do that to his people. Gather as much as you possibly can so that you can save. But that's not what he said here. 
He wants to, to know that the people know that they're going to get taken care of. Do you know that the Lord is going to take care of you? Here I am not saying don't save. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that when there is a surplus, when there is an abundance and a supply, to not have a white-knuckle grip on that because you've worked so hard for it. Well, let me say this again. It's all his anyway. He allowed you to have it. And he's just saying, be willing to release it if I ask you to do it. So that the abundance and the surplus and all of the, the money that you saved and the things that you have don't become a God. He wanted to make sure that money or, or self-preservation was not a God to these people. Amen? So in God's economy, in 2 Corinthians eight ten through 15, we see that when we step into trying to be made complete by the Lord in giving, it's to our advantage. It's an advantage. We have the favor of the Lord in that. And what that does is it creates equality across the board where reciprocity then can be, can be seen. So how does this relate back to Nehemiah? Nehemiah and the boys back in Jerusalem trying to build this wall. Nehemiah 2, 17 through 20. There's a motivation here. Nehemiah just got done inspecting this wall. He figured out all what needed to happen in order to build this thing. Now, after an inspection, after reading the word, has anyone in here ever been unbelievably motivated to go live that word out? I have. Yeah. And you read something, it's like, yes, I'm going to go do that. See, let me read this and get to what I'm saying. You can be motivated all day long. I can be motivated all day long. But then I got to get up and I got to go do it. I have to put my hands to the work. Let's read this real quick. So I get to the right scripture. Nehemiah 2, 17 to 20. It says, then I said to them, this is after the inspection. You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been what? Favorable to me. And also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to a good to the good work. The motivation after knowing exactly what needed to be done was completion. Regardless of how many cracks, how many um, how, how bad the destruction was, the motivation was, look, we need to we need to complete this. And the completion was so that there will no longer be a reproach and reproach just means disappointment. And then verse 18, he gives them a report in verse 17. And then verse 18, he gives them another report. He gives them a report from the kingdom. He gives them a report from the Lord saying this. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable 
to me, that's an advantage. And it's because of that that the people got up and they arose and they built a wall. Because of the favor of God, the advantage of the hand of the Lord, they arose and began to build. Again, you can be motivated to build all day, but then you have to rise up and do it. These people rose up because of the favor of God. You can be motivated to give all day, but at some point you have to rise up and do that. And I'm saying let the motivation be because you have an advantage when you step into that. Let the motivation be that you understand the Lord is trying to complete in you a work. You can be motivated all day, but you have to rise up and do it. But here we see in verse 19, spoke about this a little bit last week. This is this opposition. You know, sometimes opposition can come by way of outside forces. Tobiah, Sambalot, the boys, Geshem. Basically, Watching you do what you do and saying, why are you doing this? Are you rebelling against the king? Mocking you. And we read this in verse 19. But then Sambalot the Heronite and Tobiah the Ammonite, official and Geshem the Arab, heard it. They mocked us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? See, there's that outside opposition. But what we have to deal with as a church, as a body, as individuals, is the opposition that happens between our ears that opposition is real what you say to yourself on a daily basis is important you're either setting yourself up for success or you're setting yourself up for failure but that opposition is something that needs to be confronted what we see in verse 20 is the confrontation of that the confronting of that And I love this. I love this. That opposition or the resistance or the world thinking, what it tries to do is interrupt your being made complete. Tries to interrupt that. So what do you say to that? How do you combat that? It's right here in verse 20. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. What it's saying is this. When the enemy rears his ugly head, you speak this to him. You have no jurisdiction here. You have no influence here. You have no portion here. You have no right here you have no memorial here why because my god in heaven is the reason why this is going to get done see that to me ladies and gentlemen is anybody listening to me this morning that to me is the reason why you get up in the morning because you can say that nehemiah said that when we when we have a skewed view in the world's economy it brings us to a place where we're dumping things into a bottomless pit. But when we jump over to being made complete in giving and receiving in God's economy, we operate in an overflow. And once we operate in an overflow and the Lord tries to get us to look like a complete Christian, you better believe the enemy doesn't like that. So what is he going to say? You can't do this. You don't have enough money. The situation is too insurmountable. It's too big. You can't get over it. 
you have no jurisdiction here. You have no right in this. Why? Because I got the favor and the advantage of my God on my side. And guess what? I'll be dogmatic in that. You can't move me from that principle. Amen? So ladies and gentlemen, be encouraged this morning that there's a difference between knowing and not knowing. Now we know. We know that God's economy, there's way more of an advantage when you step into that. My question to you this morning is are you just going to step into it? Are you going to live in it? This goes way beyond money. This goes way beyond just giving a certain amount. You know what it says in verse 11 here? And I'm realizing that I skipped this in last service. So maybe this is the service we'll put on the website. <laughs> it says in verse 11, but now finish doing it also. Um, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, the motivation, okay, you had it. So there may also uh, be also the completion of it. Okay, here's the kicker by your ability. The Lord is not asking you to do anything, but just step into the principle. He doesn't say or set up a door that says in order to walk through here, you have to give a thousand dollars and once you give a thousand dollars then you've stepped into it he doesn't say that he says give according to your ability if that's one dollar hallelujah because the motivation behind it is the fact that it's not motivated let me say that by the world the motivation is completeness the motivation is the gospel of jesus christ I was, you know, kind of scroll through Facebook on your downtime. People post all kinds of weird stuff on there. Facebook is like, it's getting out of control, right? <laughs> Social media in and of itself is getting out of control. But I read this thing, and it said, and it made so much sense. It said, the enemy is not anti-religion. Yes, he is. But the, the next part of the statement is what hit me in the face. The enemy is not anti-religion. He's anti-Christ. There are all of these other religions that look good, but it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. If the enemy can just clothe it in something that looks similar to, but it's not it, a half-truth is a whole lie. It's a lie. Okay? It's either the gospel or it's not the gospel. Amen? So here's what I'm saying. It's either the scripture or it's not the scripture. It's either the word or not the word. We're either in or not in. And I get convicted on a daily basis with this one. How can I, can I think one way in this situation, but when it, when it comes to something that's uncomfortable, sometimes I, I may step away from what the word says. See, he's saying, I allow these things to happen so that a line can be drawn. And you could be on one side of it or the other. But straddling that line, the Lord is saying, lukewarm, I'll spit that out. Amen? So, ladies and gentlemen, we, we know now. Let me uh, get the worship team back up here. And we're going to get ready for our, for our offering. But are you guys, you guys hearing me this morning?
I hope that the word is being communicated, excuse me, in a way that is, is encouraging. That here's this thing we can function in, God's economy. And it's to bring you to completion, every single one of you. He's trying to make you complete. The very circumstance that you're in right now, he's trying to complete a work in you. I should know the address of this scripture, but he says, I'm going to finish the work that I started in you. What is that? Completion. Amen. Amen. So let's step into it. Why? Because it gives us an advantage, creates equality, and then reciprocity, my surplus, my overflow. He tells me what to do with it, where to put it. But I release myself from trying to govern that and trying to control that. Amen. Let's come forward and pray for this. Heavenly Father, we uh, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for this offering that we know and understand that we say it all the time, Lord, that it's all yours anyway. And that's not just something to calm the emotions in times of need or times of, of uncomfortability, but Lord, it's the truth. It's just the truth. I pray that we can say that when we have an abundance. We say that when we don't have an abundance. And it's, it's the reason why we can say it is because it's true. So Lord, as this, this offering goes by, God, I just, I pray that uh, in your word, uh, you tell us to give joyfully. And I pray that that's what happens. But that you would bless what is given so that we can bless you in return so we love you and we thank you and just ask for your will in this if we can't give joyfully lord i pray that we don't give (laughs) because it's the principle behind the matter it's the motivation behind it and lord guess what we know we know that you see our heart you see all of it all of it so we love you and thank you for that in jesus name amen go ahead Go ahead and pass that. So ladies and gentlemen, let's let's be a body that is kingdom driven. Let's be a body of Christ that is scripture led, spirit filled disciples of Jesus Christ. You know, as we close, let's let's stand to our feet as we close this morning. There's a there's a certain level of buy-in, I think, if, if I want to use that that term here this morning, that the Lord is He's allowing things to happen. Okay, we see all over the globe, but we also see within the church. He's allowing things to happen for that line to be drawn. We watch political debates where grown men are fighting with each other like children over issues that are actually in the word. If we would just go back to that, we could fix them just like that. But what that has caused us to do, and we see this, is we want to be influenced by what sounds good. 
what the Lord is doing is he's allowing things to happen for the church to no longer be quiet. We can't be quiet anymore. He's asking you to speak up. Speak up in your job. Speak up in that circumstance, the situation that happened yesterday in the checkout line. And you know the Lord was tapping on your shoulder, but hey, maybe there was a little bit of fear that came in. That's okay. It's all right. But the Lord wants to know who's going to be in, who's going to be out, who's going to be on one side of the fence, who's going to be on the other side. He's very clear about it. He says, let my words abide in you. John 15, 7 and 8. Through Luke 14, 26, he says, love me more than anything, even your family. Love me more than anything. So my appeal to you this morning is love him more than anything because his word resides in you and that causes you to be completely on fire for him completely because the lukewarm business that's not going to put people in the seats it's not going to save anybody it's the gospel of jesus christ that does that amen so let's pray heavenly father we know that it's the gospel that brings us to an understanding that we can't do this on our own. That's grace. Then we have the attitude that, you know what? I want to abound in your love, not my own. But because of sin, we're separated from you. But Lord, you give us an answer to that equation. And that's simply praying a prayer saying, Lord, I want to accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. And I want to operate in in becoming a complete Christian, a complete disciple, a complete follower of Christ. So that I can live a life that is on the hot side of the fence. You know what, Lord, when we, when we live with you, there actually is no fence. Huh. There's no in or out. We're just sold, sold out. But Lord, if there's somebody in here this morning who wants to make that commitment for the first time saying, Lord, I'm done doing it by myself. I've seen it done that way and it doesn't work. I want to do it your way. But first, I got to give my life to you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room who wants to do that today, I pray that you move on their heart, Lord, and they just raise their hand. In this moment, just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. But today can be your day. Let today be your day. Let him in. Let him in. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, as we close, we need your spirit. The principles of your word reign true in our lives. And one of those principles, Lord, is love. We don't want to be so caught up in the letter of the law that we forget about your love. Because, Lord, in the letter of the law, you teach us how to love. To love one another as Christ loved us. Thank you for that. So as we close, Heavenly Father, be with us. We're going to sing this song and then I'll give you, I'll give you the benediction after that. In Jesus' name.